So this uh, is our last sermon specifically about prayer in preparation for our revival prayer meetings that will begin tonight, as Meredith plugged for us. 6.30, each evening we'll begin with a meal provided by our deaconesses, and then we'll move in here and we'll pray together. Um, If you have any insecurities, is that going to be awkward? Is Matt going to make me pray out loud in front of everyone? Uh, Just put all that out of your mind. It won't be like that at all. Um, It will be... It would be great. If you've never been a part of a, a larger group prayer meeting, I really want to invite you to come. I think you will be greatly refreshed by it. My prayer is that we will be um, much closer together, much closer to our Father through these prayer meetings. So I do encourage you to come. And I do want to talk about prayer this morning, too. Prayer is a very mysterious thing, is it not? Of all the things that we are called to do as Christians, prayer is the least tangible You know, we are called to devote ourselves to the teachings of the apostles, to the Bible. And we have a Bible. It's physical. You know, even if you're not much of a reader and you're not much for quiet times and and studying, at least you've you've got one of these. You kind of know that you can open it up and you can start to study it. And we're called to be devoted to the fellowship. And that's people. So we can look from side to side and we see one another and we see physical people and we can start to converse and we can start to get closer to each other in relationships. We're called to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. Um, you know, there's bread. You can hold it. You can eat it. You know, there's, it's tangible. But prayer, ultimately, if you're going to just devote yourself to prayer, it's just you and God. That's it. Just you and God. For some people, that's about the most terrifying circumstance you can find yourself in. You know, for a while, we had a devoted prayer room here during the worship service. For the entire hour of the worship service, we had a rotation of people who would go into uh, the um, senior adult Sunday school classroom because they have the most comfortable chairs. And you could go in there, and I would provide some information about what the sermon would be on, and you would just spend that whole hour in prayer. So if I if there was like a draft system and you were to be drafted to go into that prayer room this morning and we just send you in there, just you, God, and a quiet, silent room for an hour of prayer, what would you do in there? Would you know what to do with that hour? Now, I, used, I read this book called um, Power Through Prayer. It's really good. And it talks about all these great men of church history and how they prayed. And they would spend four hours a day in prayer, five hours a day in prayer. And I'd think about that. like, what are you talking about for four hours, five hours? It's, it's almost unimaginable. I'm thinking that today will give us some clarity about prayer. If you're one of those who um, feels that they don't understand the mechanics of prayer, how does this work? I'm telling God what to do. I think he knows better than I do. If you're one of those who feels guilt in regard to prayer, like as I'm talking about this, these guys that prayed four or five hours, if you're thinking, oh man, I probably haven't prayed a cumulative four or five minutes all week. I'm thinking this is going to be very um, freeing for you today, the scriptures we're going to look at. Uh, for you, those of you who maybe feel that you don't know how to pray, if I did stick you in that prayer room, you really wouldn't know what to do with it. I'm hoping this will be very instructive for you today. Today we're going to talk about supplication. That's a good biblical word, supplication. Uh, that's the type of praying wherein we ask God for stuff. 
where we ask God for the things that we need and the things that we want. There's other types of praying. It's not always asking God for stuff. Sometimes it's, um, I don't know if you've heard of the ACTS method of prayer. A stands for adoration. Sometimes prayer is just telling God how awesome he is. You're just filled up with, with his glories. You're looking at a beautiful sunset at the beach or something, and you just are telling him how glorious it is. Uh, the C in ACTS stands for confession. So sometimes our prayers are coming clean to God to, to wipe the slate clean so that we can be in relationship. The T stands for thanksgiving. So sometimes prayers are just telling God thanks for things he already did give you. And the S stands for supplication. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Supplication are just those prayers where you're asking God for the things that you need and the things that you want. Now, I don't want you to worry about the mechanics of prayer or guilt because prayer is not mechanical, nor is it an obligation. You know, when you stand before Jesus Christ in judgment, he's not going to have a clipboard with a, a time log of how much time you spent in prayer. And if it was over a certain amount, then you're in. Otherwise, you're out. You know, we've got it all because of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven and reconciled to God because of Jesus, not because of our prayer life. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't feel guilty about prayer. Don't feel guilty about prayer. So the, my thesis statement here, the big idea that I want you to walk away with is that the best way to understand and enjoy prayer is to understand and enjoy God as your father. The best way to understand and enjoy prayer is to understand and enjoy God as your father. Now, I think we struggle to understand and enjoy our relationship with God as Christians. I think we're sort of like orphans who, for most of our lives, did not know the loving touch of parents who've suddenly been adopted into this big family with an awesome father. And we don't really know how that works. We're used to doing it on our own. We're used to figuring it out for ourselves. We're not really sure what this relationship's supposed to look like. We're better at religious rituals and religious to-do lists than at enjoying a relationship with God as our father. Now, I think that's part of the reason why we struggle in prayer. I want to read to you, this isn't our primary passage, but I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. This talks about some of the blessings that we have as Christians. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And it keeps going. But there nestled in the middle of all that blessedness that is ours is this fact that as Christians, we've been adopted as sons. 
Now, I think it's easy for us to grasp the fact that we've been forgiven of our sins thanks to Jesus' death on the cross. But I think we struggle sometimes to understand and fully embrace the fact that we've been adopted as sons, that God is now our Father. You know, new Christians are not um, just like new army recruits into a new uh, way of disciplined living. New Christians are not new monks in a monastery devoted to a bunch of religious practices. New Christians are not new members of a club that enjoy certain benefits of being in the club. They're not new Costco members. New Christians are newly adopted sons and daughters of God. I find that it helps me to think about things in terms of contrast. It helps me to figure out what something is by thinking about what it's not. So God is your father if you are a Christian. Now, God is not your butler if you are a Christian. Did any of you watch the movie recently called The Butler? Technically, it was called Lee Daniels, The Butler, because they had some kind of copyright issues. Okay, nobody's seen it. Why do I use movie illustrations? Nobody watches movies. Donnie. Okay, Donnie. You remember in that movie how he described being a butler? And I can't remember exactly. I tried to look it up. But basically, he said a butler's job is to, to be invisible in the room, unnoticed in the room, and then when a need arises, they anticipate and they fulfill the need, and then they fade back and they disappear. They're still in the room so that they're available to fulfill the needs and wants, but they're, they're invisible. They're not a part of the conversation. They're not at the dinner table. Okay, God is not our butler. God is our father. God is not, you know, disappeared at the side of the room just waiting to see the need to fulfill it. He's at the dinner table. He's the father. God is not a vending machine. Have you ever expressed or heard someone say, I tried prayer, prayer doesn't work. And it's the equivalent of somebody who put in their dollar and the, the Snickers bar is stuck in the revolving thing and they're banging it back and forth. Like, I, I tried putting that dollar in there and it didn't work. Yeah, I tried putting my prayer into the slot and God did not free me from my addiction. Doesn't work. I tried putting my prayer into that slot and my spouse still hasn't changed. It doesn't work. Well, God isn't a vending machine. God's not a machine at all. Prayer isn't about this mechanical transaction where you insert the prayer and he gives out the answer. He's a father. He's your father. Okay, God is not a genie. Okay, God does not indiscriminately grant you wishes. God is a father. Fathers sometimes have their own ideas for what's best. Genies are just going to give you what you wish for because that's their function. God is not Santa Claus. God does not just give us stuff in reward for being good, boys and girls. It would be easier to be Santa Claus than to be a father, really, when you think about it. Santa just drops in, here's some toys, he's gone. It's all positive. Your fathers are there for the good times, the bad times, the gifts, the disciplines, the spankings. God is not karma. He is not an unseen force that rewards you for good things that you did and then brings about bad in your life for bad things that you did. He is a father. Now, what makes this tricky is that God is a really, really good father. And not all of us have had really, really good fathers. 
In fact, in comparison with God, even the best earthly father is not really that great because God is such a good father. But many people have supposed, and I think they're probably onto something, that your relationship with your earthly father greatly colors your understanding of your relationship with the heavenly father. So if your dad was this permissive kind of dad who, you know, mainly pleasant but also mainly kind of irrelevant, you could take him or leave him, basically you're going to do what you're going to do, then that might be sort of how you treat God as your heavenly father. If your dad, on the other hand, was an iron-fisted disciplinarian, that may be how you perceive your relationship with your heavenly father, that he's going to, if he catches you in a sin, he's going to come crashing down on you. And the way you perceive your earthly father may affect the way you understand God as our heavenly father. Now, just a side note to dads in the room, this should be great motivation for us to try to be as godly as possible. Because our children are going to understand fatherhood first by looking at us. And then through that lens, they'll start to understand the fatherhood of God. But lest you start to be feeling guilty because you fall off the handle this morning, remember, there's now no condemnation in, in Christ Jesus. There's forgiveness for that. And I'm right there with you. But we can grow in Christ to be godly fathers. Now, my father, I think I had a very good father, but he just wasn't the guy that you went to for stuff. Mom was the one you went to for stuff. Did any of you guys have that dynamic in your household? If you needed stuff, you went to mom. Dad was... <laughs> Donnie's mom sitting right beside him and made him raise his hand. Yeah, dad was great, but he just wasn't the one that you went to to ask for stuff. He, I think my dad was very intelligent, very wise, and really, if I needed something, he had probably thought of it three or four steps before I did. And it just, I didn't need to bug him for, for things. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we get into some principles and some scripture. We're going to mainly look at Matthew chapter 6. So under the big umbrella that God is your father, I'm going to give you just three principles for supplication, for praying for the things that you want and need, based in that fact and on Matthew chapter 6. The first one is this. Your father is not interested in performance or empty phrases. Your father is not interested in performance or empty phrases. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. This is Jesus teaching his followers how to pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So here we have some instructions how not to pray. It's not a performance. And heaping up empty phrases isn't beneficial. Now that makes sense when you think about God as father and us going to him as our father. How strange would it be if Elias and Lillian turned to me at the dinner table every meal and said, 
Thank you for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies and bless the hands that prepared it. Amen. Every meal turned to me and said that. Thank you for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Bless the hands that prepared it. Amen. Thank you for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Bless the hands that prepared it. Amen. Have you ever prayed that and you prayed it so fast that there's not, it's just one big compound word? We're talking to our Father, you know? I, I think one of the quickest things that pulls the plug of power out from prayer is doing it as performance or as empty phrase religious obligation. We're sitting at the table, we say our prayer of thanksgiving, I'm going to do it now. Thank you for this food, bless the nourishment of our bodies, bless the hands prepared it, amen. You know, these men that Jesus was warning us not to be like, They would pray these big, lofty, lengthy prayers with these holy-sounding phrases. You know how some people pray, and they've got the phrases. And they say them, and it seems right for them to say them. So then we think, well, I'll say those when I pray. And it doesn't fit right. But we say them anyway, because that's what holy praying sounds like. And our Father's sitting there looking at us. That's so cute. So weird. Why are they talking to me like that? I know their personality. I know the words they use. I know the feelings they feel. I know the thoughts they think. Why are they talking to me like Billy Graham? Billy Graham should talk to me like Billy Graham. You talk to me like you. I love you. I adopted you. He's not interested in performance or in empty phrases. One point of application here that I've mentioned before. Let's be careful when children pray out loud not to pat them on the back for their performance. Because I think that's just really confusing for kids, you know. And I get that. You want to say, good job, buddy. That was a good prayer. I think there's a way to encourage children in prayer that, that, that's less confusing so they don't start to think, well, however I phrased it that time, I killed it. <laughs> we don't want to confuse them about it. We want them to pray out loud. We want to encourage them in it. But maybe we can think of better ways to encourage them. You know, thanks for praying for us. I love to hear you pray. God loves to hear you pray. Uh, this is one reason, and people have asked me about this, this is one reason I'm hesitant for us to recite the Lord's Prayer in church. Um, I don't think that it's bad to recite the Lord's Prayer in church. I, I'm hesitant in my own conscience about it because I fear that it'll be empty phrases. Good phrases that Jesus taught us, but may still be empty. Yeah, I don't want to lead someone to just repeat after me, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, who doesn't even know what that means and is going to go out and live as though God didn't exist this week anyway. When we talk to our Father, let's talk to our Father. Uh, let's not check off a box of religious ritual. It's not a ritual. It's not an obligation. It's not, you can be a Christian so long as you pray. Prayer is a gift. A gift of communion with our Father. So again, don't, don't feel any guilt. That's another point of application on this. There's no need ever to feel guilt about prayer. You can just right now set any prayer guilt aside forever. You know, I've listened to a lot of sermons. I listen to a lot on podcasts, and I've heard a lot of sermons on prayer. And probably 90% of those begin with the pastor saying, Now, we're going to talk about prayer this morning, and I know you're going to feel guilty, but it's okay. It just seems to be a universal understanding that prayer makes us feel guilty because we don't do it very much. Okay, so no guilt, no shame, just us and our Father. 
Okay, so the first principle is he's not interested in performance or empty phrases. The second, our father already knows. Our father already knows. Yet, he wants us to ask him. Okay, and this is the weirdest one, but it's, it's absolutely true scripturally. Our father already knows, yet he wants us to ask him. So we just read that passage where Jesus is warning us not to pray like the hypocrites do with lofty speech and empty phrases. And then in verse 8, he says, do not be like them. Why? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't be like that. The father already knows what you're thinking. He already knows what you're feeling. doesn't matter all your fancy phrases. The father already knows what you need before you ask him. So then, Jesus, what's the alternative? If he already knows, and we shouldn't pray like they pray, what's the alternative? Should we just leave him alone? Should we just leave dad alone? He already knows what we need. Just leave him alone and wait for him to fulfill it? Well, no. Verse 9, pray then like this. Here's the alternative. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he says, don't pray like the hypocrites because God already knows what you're going to ask for before you ask it. Instead, pray like this and ask him for the stuff that he already knows you need. Why? Yeah, I struggle with the the logical mechanics of this. Why? If he already knows... Yeah, I've told my kids before. How many of you have told your kids when they say I'm hungry? I know you're hungry. I don't need to I don't need the news flash. I know. I'm working on it. Have you ever responded to your children like that, or am I just like this terrible person and I just outed myself? Some of you have. Get down off your high horse. Prayer clearly is not for his informational benefit. He doesn't need the new information. It's not like he's the president and you're part of his staff and you're coming in and you're saying, God, such and such his living situation has gotten really bad and they need a way out. And God turns around his chair. I was afraid it was going to come to this. What should we do? Well, Father, I think we should give him a, a different place to live, provide for him. Good idea. Let's do it. He's not shocked that that the, the person who lost their spouse years ago is lonely. Yet he still wants to hear about it. He's not shocked that uh, your kid is getting in with the wrong crowd at school. He knows, yet he still wants to hear from you about it. He's not shocked that the physical pain you're enduring is getting tough. He knows, yet he still wants to hear from you about it. He also doesn't need the motivation. I mean, look at the list in, Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. Look at the list of requests. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, does he not already want that? Give us this day our daily bread. Would he not give us that bread anyway? Why does he want us to pray for these things? How many blessings have you received on that level that you didn't pray for? Did any of you eat breakfast this morning, yet you had not prayed for him? Father, I really want some Dunkin' Donuts this morning. Please provide for me some donuts. Did any of you pray for Dunkin' Donuts this morning? 
Okay, nobody prayed for Dunkin' Donuts this morning, yet God gave us this blessing of Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast. You know, it doesn't list all the necessities that one might need. He doesn't say, he doesn't list, you know, clothes and shelter in this prayer. It's not a comprehensive prayer. It doesn't list uh, sleep or water or sunlight or air. You know, all these blessings, he's just, he's just pouring out blessings all the time. You know, nobody is sitting in here unclothed because they forgot to pray for clothes. You know, he provides for us every second of every day, all the time. Even people that aren't Christians, he's providing for and blessing. Now, I want to stress this point that he already knows not because I think that's news to you. I bet you guys have thought of that before. You know, God knows. I just want you to see that it's right here in the text where he's teaching us about prayer. In verse 8, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's not like the Bible's dirty little secret where a kid as he grows up figures out, wait a second, this prayer stuff doesn't make any sense at all. God already knows what I need. It's right there in the text. I think it's central to understanding prayer, especially supplication type prayer. And that's what brings me to the third and final point. So first, our father's not interested in performance or empty phrases. Our father already knows, yet wants us to ask. And then finally, our father wants us to trust him and be at peace. Our father wants us to trust him and be at peace. Biblically, the clearest alternative to anxiety for the Christian is trusting in the Father. And the clearest route to trusting in the Father is prayer. Our Father wants us to trust Him and be at peace. And prayer is a part of that process. You know, just a little bit further down from the Lord's Prayer is Matthew 6, verse 25 and on, which if any of you have ever struggled with anxiety, I know this probably is a very important passage to you, but I'd like to read it to you. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't be anxious about all this stuff. The father takes care of birds in the field and flowers in the field. He knows you need this stuff and he loves you and you're more important to him than those things. There's something about the fact that God knows that is especially helpful for us in our fears and anxieties. And there's something about prayer that burrows us into the fact that God knows more than anything else. Prayer is a lot more about learning to trust God than it is about getting our stuff or fulfilling a religious obligation. One of my favorite passages, Philippians 4, 6-7, another great one for those who may struggle with anxiety. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about stuff. Instead of doing that, instead of stewing on it, instead of just circling around in your mind all day long, all night long, instead of doing that, let your requests be made known to God. And then through that process of prayer, it doesn't say, and he'll take care of all that stuff. It doesn't say he'll make that situation go away in an instant. It says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I think that's the end result of supplication praying. The peace of God guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm going to give you the same illustration again because I haven't thought of a better one for this point. But, you know, when I grew up as a kid, we lived in kind of a creaky old house. You know, the wind would blow and the trees would scratch the windows and the house would creak. And the few times I stayed by myself as like a, a early teenager, maybe, I was very creeped out by it. Very difficult time sleeping. Every noise, every creak had me very concerned. You know, I lay perfectly still, so both, no, not one ear on the pillow, so both ears could do their jobs of listening to make sure nobody had broken in, which would have been very easy. Now, when my father was home, it was a completely different story. I would go to bed first. If I heard my, my dad's big clomping, stomping steps down the hallway to, if it was wintertime, say, to start the, or get the fire all set for the night, and then checking the doors, make sure they're locked, stomping back down the hallway to bed. Knowing that my father was there, and that he knew more about what was going on at the house than I did, and that he was at peace. That peace of my father guarded my heart and my mind. I slept like a baby. I slept on my side so one ear was on the pillow, so only one ear was doing the job of hearing. None of you guys ever thought about that? See, as Christians, we have the Father. You don't just have forgiveness of your sins. That would be enough. You don't just have that. You have a reconciled relationship with the Father. So you need not live life as an orphan, like you're on your own. Anything you're anxious about, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, you might not have a clue how he could work this thing out. But the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So... 
Yes, he already knows. But he wants you to come to him. And it's not for his benefit so he can learn what's going on with your life. It's for your benefit so you can learn to trust him. So think about your life. Think about your relationship with the Father. Is Christianity for you just a, a religious ritual? We go on Sundays and we go through you know, the Sunday thing. We enjoy it and we like the people. Or is it a thriving, living, real relationship with God the Father? Are you living like an orphan? Or are you living like a very well cared for son or daughter of God? Are you anxious about anything this morning? If so, let your request be made known to God. Remember how our Heavenly Father takes care of the birds and the flowers. Remember that He deems us far more valuable and enduring. Remember that He knows what you need and want already. And yet He waits for you with open arms. And I'll close with just a little bit further after all that teaching Jesus did about prayer and anxiety in Matthew chapter 7. This will close out the sermon, he says, in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. It's quite an invitation. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. I know that sounds harsh, but in comparison with the goodness of God, all earthly father fathering looks evil in comparison to how good that is. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for allowing us to approach you as our Father. You've invited us to come to you and you know what we need even better than we do. And so I just want to ask you that you would help us to live in light of the fact that you're our Father. Help us to live in light of that fact in regard to prayer, in regard to our worries and concerns and anxieties, and in regard to every other aspect of our life. Or we we struggle We struggle to embrace this unbelievable blessing of being your children. But we know that you'll help us. In Jesus' name, amen.